Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Schigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In today's episode, we're bringing you my conversation with Beju Shaw, Senior Fellow for Innovation at the Cleveland Foundation. We're going to dive into what Beju sees as the gaps in the Midwest and how he's working to combat these through his work with the Cleveland Innovation Project, which includes setting expectations and identifying opportunities to bring high growth and innovation to the region through three sectors of focus, next generation healthcare, smart manufacturing, and water technologies. Beju Saw serves as the Senior Fellow for Innovation at the Cleveland Foundation, where he focuses on catalyzing strategic initiatives for the region, including serving as the leader of the Cleveland Innovation Project. Beju is also the Managing Director of Accelerate Ventures, an advisory firm focused on accelerating innovation platforms and impact initiatives, principally in the bioscience and healthcare sectors. In his previous work as CEO of Biomotive, and co-leader of the Harrington Project for Discovery and Development, Baiju has extensive experience in launching companies and innovation platforms, as well as economic development. Before Biomotive, Baiju was president and CEO of BioEnterprise, a partnership with Case Western Reserve University, Cleveland Clinic, Metro Health, and University Hospitals. He started his business career as a consultant with McKinsey after earning a law degree from Harvard and a bachelor's from Yale. Please enjoy my conversation with Beju Shaw. Beju, so good to have you on Fast Frontiers. Welcome. Thank you, Tim. Good to see you again. Speaking of Fast Frontiers, you are on the leading edge of creating the next Fast Frontier in Cleveland with the Cleveland Innovation Project, working with a group that I think is just fascinating as I've gotten to know Ron Richard, the CEO of the Cleveland Foundation, which many people don't know, even people probably in Cleveland don't realize Cleveland Foundation was the first community foundation in the world. How many years ago was it now? It was 1914. And it, you know, if we want to talk about innovations, very innovative concept when it was put together. It was the idea to put philanthropy into the hands of a community trust so that generations could not only invest uh, their dollars, but also direct the dollars to whatever the community's future priorities may be. And we are indeed the uh, first community foundation and one of the largest still with about $2.7 billion in assets and about $150 million of annual giving. Yeah, it's amazing. And the uh, it's because of a foundation like that, that, you know, some of the long-term investments in the city happened. And uh, I grew up in Cleveland and went to Case Western. And um, the one that comes to mind, if I'm not, if I'm not incorrect, is uh, the Cleveland Metro Parks. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a fan. Cleveland Metro Parks is a gift for generations upon generations. Uh, the tens of thousands of acres of protected land that's not distant, but actually in the neighborhoods, all in and around Cleveland and its suburbs is one of our spectacular natural resources. Yeah, as a kid, I mean, it wasn't far from my house. Yeah. And I could go down there, take my bike, I could go fishing, I could go on the bike trail and be exactly. gone for days. I mean, you know, just bike all over the place as a kid. It was great. It's absolutely a wonderful resource. So your background, just to give, you know, the listeners some context, you've you know, multi-dimensional background in the biotech industry, in the entrepreneur, in the venture uh, industry, 
uh, you have a law degree. I mean, you've done so many different things. And, you know, what, what are a couple of the things that you'd like people to maybe know about you that they wouldn't already know that aren't obvious? Well, I think probably everyone that knows me knows that I'm a diehard Clevelander. You know, boomerang back, you know, just like you grew up here, riding my bikes through the metro parks as well, and always felt that Cleveland was the type of city uh, that I could come back to and uh, participate in in ways that not only helped me grow professionally, but allowed me to be involved in a way civically to give back to, to my hometown. So that's probably pretty obvious from, from my background. What's not obvious from my background? You know, I think like many other entrepreneurs, I, I certainly have got ADD. You know, I like to be involved in lots and lots of different things. The joy to, to see the uh, diversity of innovation, diversity of ideas that are out there, different people, the, the stimulation that one gets from it. But I also am very, very focused on impact. I think that the more time one uh, spends in the entrepreneurial world, the more one recognizes the difference between ideas, which are easy. Uh, even when they're incredibly creative ideas, they're still, you know, more than a dime, not more than a dime a dozen. Right. But execution is everything. Execution is everything. Absolutely. And that's true whether we're talking about a startup or whether we're talking about building an ecosystem or helping to transform a region. And so I, you know, um, have an urgency and focus around execution that maybe is uh, not completely uh, known to everyone that's out there that, uh, you know, the older I get, the less patient I get as well around things related to execution. Amen to that. The One of my first successful investments or fastest growing company that I was associated with when I got into venture was a company called advertising.com and Scott and John Ferber. And they went from zero to 135 million in revenue in you know, less than five years or something like yeah. that. And, and I remember, you know, that, that the kind of the, the saying, but I saw it in practice, which is they were like 5% strategy and 95% execution. Absolutely. I mean, they, di they didn't go back and have to revisit strategy every day. They had a good solid strategy. It wasn't like yeah. it was bad strategy, but they weren't revisiting it every week they were executing against it and learning and executing, but the execution was just this drumbeat maniacal. It's, yeah. it's absolutely. And you've been it in it with your ventures. I've been it with my ventures. I mean, it is, it is a different discipline and then to do it at the appropriate scale. And right? so mm -hmm. you and I have talked about this often in the past. I think one of the challenges here in Cleveland, maybe more broadly in the Midwest is people don't aspire to the scale that is relevant and required to remain competitive. They get satisfied mm. and complacent with the successes of early milestones and then businesses start to plateau. We need more and more entrepreneurs that understand that scale is going to be relevant for success of their venture uh, over time. It's not, it's not going to be sustained if you don't scale it in a globally competitive and relevant manner. That is such a good point. And I've been I've been talking about how we need to, like in the Midwest, how we need to flip the script. It's it's not enough to be successful locally. You know, it's not enough to be the fastest kid in the high school team. Like you, right. you're in a global marketplace. And but it's interesting because of this whatever, whatever it is, Midwest attitude or whatever, there's as soon as an entrepreneur, young entrepreneur 
comes out with some kind of bold vision, people are almost like, yeah, yeah, keep that to yourself. Like, let's not, let's not get carried away. You know, and it's the expectations are different. But yeah. I realized versus like the West Coast, people don't go to the West Coast because of money. They go yeah. there because the expectations are you're going to change the world. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly right. And then, I, you know, it carries over, obviously, into capital and both not only how investors think, but more importantly, how entrepreneurs think. It's, it's starving the business from being able to be successful, to being able to be sustainably successful if you're not seeking and raising the capital required for being competitive. And was your, what, what, which of your experiences formed that growth mindset? Yeah, I've had the pleasure of um, learning from and watching many successful entrepreneurs from my various vantages over my career. And it's really watching, watching individuals like a Ray Dalton. A Ray is a six-time serial successful entrepreneur here in Cleveland, all health IT services business after business after business. It's been execution scale, execution scale, execution scale. And, you know, it's it's learning from someone like him, learning from, you know, uh, unfortunately, a recently departed mentor of mine, Mal Mixon. And Mal was mm-hmm. the founder of Invicare. More importantly, uh, not more importantly, I should say as importantly, Mal was an avid investor and entrepreneur and mentor to so many ventures throughout Cleveland. Uh, you know, like you, I'm always I'm always looking to learn. I'm always listening. I'm watching. I'm seeing what can I gain from seeing how others are doing things. And I think that seeing the success patterns and the failure patterns, you start to recognize that importance of not only the S- execution discipline, but the scale discipline. How do you work and operate at the scale that's required to be relevant in your industry? Which brings up questions like, you know, not not how do we double, how do we 10x, how do we 100x? Yes. How do we stretch? Yes. Right. And how do we think that way? And how do we think that way from the outset? And instead of doing pilots, right, how do we immediately start to go for something larger to push ourselves in having that aspiration and learning through that in terms of what it's really going to take. Right. It's almost scary. I mean, we, I've learned the term kind of obvious, but the, the term backcasting is basically the idea of like saying, Oh, you know, what, what do we look like as a hundred million dollar company and then work backwards from that to figure yeah. out how you get there. Right. Yeah. It sounds obvious, but most people don't do that. And you got to wonder why not? So what was it about the, the, the vision and the opportunity with the Cleveland Innovation Project yeah. that made you say, the time is now and the person is me? The time is now, I can answer. The person is me is, is, is probably not best for me to answer. I can tell you what I was attracted to it. But in Cleveland, we've had a, a history for 20 years, you know, with the Cleveland Foundation, but also many other organizations of trying to catalyze a innovation ecosystem and trying to build, you know, our version of what every other region in the Midwest and really region of the country has been trying to build and build on your assets and create this high set of high growth enterprises. And we've had some successes, you know, a number of uh, very successful companies uh, that have come out, but we haven't yet achieved our full potential. And we recognize that as a community, we needed to be doing much, much more that we had sort of started becoming, as I was saying earlier in this episode, a little bit complacent with the level of success we had achieved. And we watched nearby regions 
continue to accelerate past us. Regions such as Columbus and Pittsburgh that are doing incredible things in the tech space broadly. And that galvanized our broad civic community. And by that, I mean not only organizations like the Cleveland Foundation and the public organizations, but also our corporate leaders and other concerned citizens to think about what is it that we should be doing to have the same type of trajectory as a Columbus or a Pittsburgh. That is the backdrop to what led to the creation of the Cleveland Innovation Project. And that predates my involvement in, in the project itself. It was the, the creation of the Cleveland Foundation for other economic development organizations here in Cleveland. It all came together and said, we need a common vision. And we need a common vision to identify a couple of bold initiatives to really change Cleveland's trajectory in terms of growth, but also inclusive growth, inclusive prosperity, as that issue was front and center on our region's agenda uh, over the last several years, and of course heightened because of the, uh, the, the stark situations that have been brought to everyone's light in 2020, both in terms of the pandemic, as well as the uh, protest for, against racial injustice. So when you got involved, yeah. how much of this was shaped and defined and, and, and uh, it was worked? In very beginning stages. So I would say the convening had happened. Uh, my original involvement was to be invited to be a part of the steering committee that was of corporate and civic leaders that was going to guide the Cleveland Innovation Project. And the work of identifying those couple of bold initiatives was just beginning. Uh, this was kind of mid-2019. Uh, there were a number of sectors identified. We had uh, contracted McKinsey and Company uh, to be a part and parcel of that analytical phase. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I actually first got involved in him as a, as a steering committee member guiding in particular healthcare, given my background uh, in the healthcare industry. About six months in, you know, when the analysis was starting to, to come together and sectors were starting to emerge, there was a recognition that we were going to have to transition from uh, identifying opportunities to really developing the strategies and implementation plans. And to do that, we needed to take ownership of that as a region and as a set of regional organizations. And that's when I was asked to step in from the steering committee and actually take on the role of leading uh, the Cleveland Innovation Project on behalf of the five partner organizations and the steering committee. So you, you became a student of the other regions and what they've done. Yep. Right. And so you learned some things. What can you share? What, what what have you learned that you think, you know, some folks have done particularly well? And what 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 issues have you seen that just haven't worked? Well, uh, you know, a couple of principles that came out of learning from other regions. Uh, these things may seem self-evident or obvious. One is focus on excellence. Right. What are what can you be truly excellent at? And you have to think about excellence on a national or global basis, depending on the industry that you're in. Uh, and you have to be sober-eyed about your current state of uh, play and what you need to be able to invest to attain excellence and sustain excellence. So when you look at Pittsburgh nearby, immediately excellence in robotics and AI come to mind. And they have been investing in that for three decades now. It's not an overnight success. It's a three-decade 
uh, investment plan mm -hmm. that's made that is paid off in terms of not only institutional excellence, but broader economic development, growth of fast companies, attraction of major flagship tech organizations above and above. So focusing on excellence and being completely clear and candid with yourself and with the region about what it's going to take to be excellent and where you're starting from. One learning. The second was scale. Right? So we, we talked earlier about scale in the context of an entrepreneur. Scale is relevant for a region as well. Right? And so how do you ensure that as you're pursuing excellence, you're dreaming at a scale that becomes relevant as well? Right? You can have excellence around one professor, one laboratory, one sort of very, very narrow niche. And that's not going to make a difference in terms of driving regional prosperity. What's the KPI in it's, 10 years? It's, it's a couple of things. It's about the growth. It's, you know, on the input side, it's what are the resources that institutions, foundations, governments, corporates are putting forward into building excellence, right? Whether that's investment in a research infrastructure, investment in building the capital infrastructure that's going to support the development of ideas into businesses, physical infrastructure. All of those things are important in terms of the investment and then network infrastructure. Network here meaning how do you connect the region globally? Uh, you know, I always think about the different types of capital ones trying to bring in to the region. Part of that is social capital in this day and age. And how do we make sure we're investing in the networks to bring whether it's capital, ideas, people into our region to be a part and parcel of our enterprise. So those are the types of things you measure on the input side. On the output side, it translates into the scale of investment you're able to attract to the businesses that you're fostering. The growth of those businesses is measured by either revenues or employment uh, statistics. The growth of your research enterprises, you know, and how do they become larger and larger enterprises that are doing a broader work that enables a pipeline of innovation that's going to be relevant. So those are the types of things that you uh, measure or that we would measure as a part of the Cleveland Innovation Project. So those are things that we, and we've seen that in terms of resource and scale investment, again, in nearby regions. Uh, Columbus, you know, has been amazing over the last decade. It's not just drive capital. Drive Capital is a big part of it in terms of the companies that they've supported, but it's also Ohio State. It's also Nationwide Children's. It's also Rev1 Ventures. It's also all of the corporations around Columbus embracing corporate innovation and investing in uh, endeavors that you know broaden the ecosystem. It's about talent attraction into Columbus. You see the flows of population, not just from around the state, but around the country and the world coming in. Those are things that matter, right? And that's driving Columbus in a different trajectory than, than we're on here in Cleveland. So excellence and scale. The thing that we haven't seen anywhere, Tim, is anyone meaningfully moving the needle on inclusive prosperity in the innovation space. Uh, and inclusive prosperity can be measured in many different ways. It's a function of companies or investment funds or researchers that are from diverse backgrounds, you know, Black, Latinx, other underrepresented minorities, female, you know, all of those are underrepresented broadly in the tech sector. We haven't really seen efforts in regions other than pilot endeavors. There's always pilot endeavors, but moving the needle in a region to see more representation in the tech sector hasn't happened, you know, yet 
to, to our awareness, um, nor have we seen inclusion from a socioeconomic perspective. You know, really thinking uh, intentionally about as we grow these sectors, how do we make sure that opportunities are being created to uh, connect individuals from uh, socioeconomically uh, less resourced communities into pipelines that allow them to participate in the growth of these sectors in a meaningful way. So not just being a part of the service industry that exists around the tech industry, but really getting involved in exposure programs early on, because I think exposure is critical to even give people the concept in their head that I could work in a smart manufacturing firm, or I could be a software coder, right. you know, just to, a, know just to know those things exist, to know it exists, right. right. And putting intentionality and scale behind those resources so that you actually create inclusive prosperity and pipelines for the broader community to benefit from the growth of our tech sector. I haven't seen that done again. I've seen great pilot programs around the country, but I haven't seen at a community wide level, a meaningful, successful, set of results yet. And that's part and parcel of what we hope to be able to invent and contribute, you know, as a part of our, you know, our work through the Cleveland Innovation Project. So back to output or kind of the uh, aspiration then. So 10 years from now, when we, what, is Cleveland, what does the Cleveland economic landscape look like if you're successful? Yeah, so I, I can answer that both qualitatively and, and I'll give you a sense of the quantitative scope. So, mm-hmm. so through the Cleveland Innovation Project, we've identified three sectors where we believe Cleveland has the opportunity to be preeminent. Now, the three sectors are not just health innovation, but in particular, next generation healthcare. Cleveland's well known as a medical mecca. You know, our hospitals are world class for the way they take care of patients inside of their facilities. As you know, the world of digitization is moving into healthcare in rapid form, especially because of what's happened in the last year with the pandemic. We want to be known for not only delivering that type of care excellence outside of the walls of our facilities, the way that we're known for care excellence inside facilities, but we want to be pioneering the technologies and services that are required to enable that digital healthcare future, that next generation healthcare future. So that's one sector that we, you know, would look back and say Cleveland's a mecca for that type of innovation. The second sector is around smart manufacturing. Building on our heritage is one of the largest and most diversified industrial uh, economies in the country, but bringing digital into everything we're doing in the manufacturing environment, not just in the operations of a factory, as we think about you know, 3D manufacturing and uh, digitizing manufacturing process, but upstream as we're dealing with suppliers, downstream as we're dealing with customers, really transforming the manufacturing world into the world that it's gonna be uh, because of digital technologies. We wanna be the place where those technologies are pioneered, tested with our industrial companies and globally sold you know, when they've been validated. And that's and a great the- message for entrepreneurs. Any entrepreneurs in that space, if they knew that Cleveland was the w- most welcoming environment in terms of the traditional companies wanting to bring in that innovation, uh, they'd be moving there in, you know, well, there's there's a um, you know recent announcement that came out that uh, we're quite excited about 
EY, Ernst & Young, mm -hmm. has announced that their Global Center for Advanced Manufacturing Innovation will be in Cleveland with a firm called Nottingham Spurk that you know well. Oh, Nottingham wow. Spurk is an yeah. amazing industrial and consumer design organization. A number of products exist in my household and your household that were created from this firm. Those mm -hmm. two firms have uh, partnered to create a global hub for advanced manufacturing innovation. And that's where EY is going to be bringing a lot of its clients to learn about digital technologies, both from a design perspective all the way through a production perspective. But it also ties into this broader smart manufacturing initiative because it becomes a gateway for entrepreneurs to showcase what they can do to transform uh, manufacturing environments to EY's clients. I know the folks at Nottingham Spurk, uh, we'll put a little commercial in for them and for the listeners to go check them out. Maybe most famously known for the Little Tykes design uh, uh, car, but so, like, as you mentioned, so many other things. Yeah, that's another one of these mega trends, which is the design orientation of exactly. everything, right? And so, I think that is so smart um, because they are they are world class, and it starts there. It starts with yeah. design. So that's terrific. Yeah. So that's the second sector. So you know, next generation health, smart manufacturing, and the third is around water technologies. Uh, this was a sector I knew nothing about, you know, and, and we think of water in the Midwest because we think of the Great Lakes. We think we live near, and when we do, we're privileged to live near the world's uh, greatest collection of surface water, fresh water. But water technologies is all about the management of water, the treatment of water, the monitoring of water quality, the movement of water, the technologies that are required for all of that in a water-stressed world, because most of the world does not have the benefit of living on the Great Lakes, uh, the demand for those technologies and services is growing exponentially. And here in Cleveland, we've got, because of our heritage, over 100 companies that today participate in the water tech space. We think we can become one of those uh, geographies in the world where water innovation uh, is vibrant because of that heritage, because of our interest in water technologies, and because of the market that we're serving. And so we're putting a big emphasis on growing that sector as well. And again, the, the mechanism here is using test beds. Uh, we are creating test beds for entrepreneurs who have water technologies to work in close proximity with whether it's utilities, whether it's with consumer users, whether it's industrial users, with neighborhood and residential, all of those types of settings, an environment where they can quickly demonstrate whether their technology proves out, it validates sort of the value proposition, and then the support around those companies to scale their enterprises. So those are the three sectors that 10 years from now, if you are to come back and we've been successful as the Cleveland Innovation Project, you should see a vibrant innovation environment with a focus on three sectors where Cleveland has an advantage today and has the opportunity to really develop excellence and scale and reputation. Now that translates into obviously all sorts of metrics uh, that we've established for a scorecard. We're big on uh, numbers, we're big on accountability. So we've got 2030 objectives that are specific to job growth, to diversity of employment in, in the tech sector, to include uh, underrepresented minorities and women, research growth, capital growth, households that are connected to you know, uh, broadband. But then we've broken it down to 2021 objectives that we'll be announcing shortly as well, because again, back to visioning. Visioning is great. You wanna know where you wanna be in 2030, but to hold ourselves not only accountable, but to force 
focus, we are going to be adopting 2021 objectives at the Cleveland Innovation Project to ensure that the community is aligning resources and problem solving when we're not on trajectory to figure out what's wrong with either our strategy, our inputs, our outputs, you know, our partners, so on and so forth. The way that one would approach uh, managing any other type of enterprise. So 2021 will really be, this is right, that the first year of execution. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. From now, you know, we've said it's, you know, back to your comment about 5% strategy, 95% execution. We've basically said planning's behind us. It's always, obviously, always constantly being refined, but it's about impact. It's about implementation. It's about outcomes. And that's, that's got to be our mindset to be successful at achieving the long-term vision so that we stop fiddling with the paper and we start actually putting stuff into the world and seeing what we learn when we actually put it into practice. Well, you made good progress because as anybody knows who's been involved in a community-related effort, there are a lot of stakeholders, a lot of people with opinions and ideas, and they're all valid to one degree or another, but there's only so many things you can do. So you've tightened it up pretty well. We're tight. We're tightening and we're constantly, and I think in a civic process, and probably not too dissimilar, but certainly harder than I think in corporate press, it's, it's a constant, you know, uh, it's a constant hurting that's required. Uh, and, you know, reevaluation at appropriate times to make sure that you're not missing something that uh, emerges as a new opportunity. It is, it is a different skill set, isn't it? I, I noticed that with Centrifuge. It takes that vision and that communication and leadership of people like yourself and Ron and the other key stakeholders there. So congrats on getting this far. And we'll look forward to seeing how you do developing this fast frontier in Cleveland. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Beju, for sharing your time with us. Thanks for having me here, Tim. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with Michelle McBain, Managing Director at Stand Up Ventures. 